And I heard myself saying like, I'm going to choose life today. I'm going to let go of all the being careful and all the sitting in the pajamas. I'm throwing all of that away and I don't need to live life with my foot on the brake anymore. I'm choosing life today. And I said that and my heart was beating so fast and I was like, whoa, this is what I've chose like as a, as an overall idea for the day as a mindset like I'm choosing life and I'm not losing anything I'm, I'm, I'm getting my life back I'm Michelle Edwards I'm the author of a novel called Chronicle of Endings but I want to continue the conversation it's a conversation about the different endings we face across the course of our lives and ultimately about all the beginnings that open up after. I want to speak to men because men don't always have the place or the permission to talk openly about their difficulties the way women do. But I want to speak to women too because we are all the same human beings trying to navigate the same universal human experiences. Mostly, through these interviews, I want to have the opportunity to speak directly and openly with you. Each guest's experiences will allow you to reflect on your own, about the endings you have faced and the ones you are yet to face, the mindset and actions which brought these people through their difficult times will, in turn, speak to you about your own because whether it's a novel, a podcast, or just two mates finally speaking about things that matter over a beer, words, words have the power to change people, to change their lives, to change yours. So, can we talk? Okay, recording. Hi, Maylan. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. Uh, yeah, that's, there's a lot to say about me. <laughs> but um, I'm Maylan. I'm 29 now. I live in Belgium. Um, and I think to start with this podcast, it's relevant to also say that I'm fully blind right now. And how that happened, I might tell <laughs> later in our conversation. I'm also a consciousness coach. I have my own business, Inside Out. Uh, yeah, I think we can start there. Yeah. So you haven't always been blind. Mm-hmm. How, no, how uh, it happened. Yeah, it happened um, when I was five. So I was born as a, as a normal, so to say, <laughs> sighted kid. Um, and when I was five, I had a, uh, I had a fever and my mom went to the pharmacist, uh, and she got an aspirin for children, um, against the, the fever and the, probably a cold or a flu. Um, and I, uh, reacted allergically. So I developed an autoimmune reaction where my body kind of started to attack itself. Um, I don't, I'm, I don't have a medical background, so it's only what I've got to understand what the doctors told me over the years but it's basically 
um, I was allergic to the aspirin and my body then reacted with an autoimmune reaction. Um, and it looked in the beginning um, like something like a skin condition that happened very fast. And it, it started with like some spots in my face and then that became something like um, wounds from burning. And then, um, but that happened over like a couple of hours where something appeared on my skin and then it looked like burning wounds. And then, and then, um, yeah, my father took me to the doctor, took me to then the, the intensive care um, where they then put me in artificial coma for a couple of weeks. And then they didn't really know what I had until I think so I was five and I, I was in a coma, so I wasn't really there. Um, but I think it was after a couple of weeks, they, they discovered the syndrome that I had, the Stevens-Johnson syndrome, that is an allergic reaction to this medication. And then it was like a long period of uncertainty where they didn't really know what was going to happen, if I survived, what was going to be the, like how I'm going to come out of this coma, etc. And then actually I'm, I'm moving fast through the story, right? <laughs> um, but then um, so as when I was six and I went to went to first grade in, in, um, in school here in Belgium, I couldn't read the, the board very well. So obviously I survived. Sorry, I skipped that step. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, after a couple of weeks, I, I, I woke up quite mysteriously. Um, people don't really know, like the doctors didn't really know what happened so that I... Um, woke up they stopped the artificial coma and they saw that my body was really weak but for some reason I came out and um I had yeah my skin and um that was in the beginning they only saw like my skin was affected uh and then they thought that's what I need to recover from and then also recover obviously from the coma etc uh but then when I was home a couple of months I went to school um first first grade and they saw, like the teacher noticed that I couldn't read the, the board very well and that my eyes were somehow affected. And then after a couple of doctor's appointments, they saw that the cornea, so that's a part of the eye, uh, they always explain it to me. It's like, it's a window you're looking through and your lens of your eyes behind it. And so that was damaged by the, the allergic reaction. And actually the healing of the wounds created scars and that blurred my vision. So that's where it started. But you still had some sight left? Yes. So throughout my childhood, so from I usually say from I was six till I was like 15, it um, decreased like really slowly. So it was so slow that I can't really say like when I really became fully blind um, because it, yeah, it just goes really slow. I learned to read Braille when I was nine. Uh, I still was riding my own bike till I was 11. And I remember when I went to a new school when I was 14, that it was for the first time in this new surrounding that I didn't really use my vision anymore. So I didn't use visual clues to find my way around. I, I was really more using my hearing. Uh, but I could still see colors and shapes and, and, and like, um, like a, a flash of a camera, a camera, those things I could still see. Um, and then when I was 25, the real, uh, physical blindness came, um, when they decided that, uh, over the years, there were so much, 
so many infections uh, on my eyes and so many um, surgeries they had to do and stuff to keep the eye uh, safe that at a certain point they decided um, that it would be healthier for me to remove both my eyes. Was that an easy or <laughs> decision for you to make? No, it wasn't. Um, what made it even more difficult for me was that from the moment they realized what was going on with my eyes when I was six years old, they always thought back then, it's like more than 20 years ago, um, we're going to, for now, deal with this decreasing uh, eyesight and kind of keep the eyes safe and, and, and as healthy as we can over for the coming years. Because then when you're fully grown, when you're 18, we're going to uh, do surgery and give you a donor cornea. So, and then you will see again. Like it was a plan when I was six. Um, and we went with it and, and, and I grew up until I was 16 with this idea, like, okay, I just need to do my eye drops, like my medication. And they do, they all need to do all these kind of different surgeries, um, which was almost a surgery year, some, some periods to keep the eye kind of, uh, preserved until I was 18. And then when I was 16, <laughs> I was at a doctor's kind of a regular checkup, um, where she said like, yeah, I don't know, there so many things happened to the nerves and to other parts of the eye. I don't know if we're going to replace the cornea, if it's actually still going to make a difference, if, just, if you're going to see any better than you do now. That's what she said when I was 16. And I think it's interesting what happens here in psychology when for 10 years I had, a, I had this, this image of the future and this thing to, to move towards to when I would, would be 18. Then... I had this whole thing, like I would give a, a big party when a surgery would happen and then I would travel the world and then it would all be over and my life would start and all of that. And so when, they, when I was 16 and they told me that's not going to happen, I was really, yeah, I was grieving over my own future. Um, but the funny thing is that I, I very consciously, I mean, it hit me like a, like a truck and, and it was a really tough time and, and. I guess uh, some months of what they would call depression and like it was very real but still a part of me was so used to growing up with this this holding on to the future and this not fully accepting I'm blind that I had years where I was still trying to to live that future that I had shaped for myself uh, as if I would not be blind and then when I was 25 my medical condition with my eye was so bad that they had to uh, remove uh, and and replace them with um, artificial eyes that it felt like for the first time I, and I wasn't seeing much right I, I when I was 25 I only saw like very uh, bright light and very bright colors but not nothing practically <laughs> Um, useful in life and I was actually living like a blind person but the tiny tiny bit of light I could still see I was so attached to it mm -hmm. that um, yeah that, that it it was really an obstacle but I wasn't aware of it I really thought like I've, I had done some some therapy I've done some 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 personal um transformational work to accept my my disability I was actually yeah living quite a good life and then 
they told me the news like there's really like whether you do it now deciding that you remove your eyes or we do one or two extra surgeries uh, and then it came down to a surgery every two months um, but we can't keep doing that so then I was um, yeah I was given the choice like we do the thing that you've always uh, feared the most in life making you fully blind and then replacing it uh, with artificial eyes um, or you kind of hang on to it for a couple couple of months more but then the result is the same. Um, so yeah, there was a couple of weeks before my 25th birthday, but I really grew up with like the worst thing that can happen is losing your eye, becoming fully blind. I, they warned me all the time when I was a kid, like I had that imprinted in me, like you take your medication, do your eye drops, because otherwise this is going to happen. Uh, and then it was about to happen um yeah so that was was right before the end that's what I thought yeah it's an interesting way for it to play out because if you had just become blind when the incident first happened when you were a child well um Mm -hmm. yes you would have very much grown up okay with that situation and um, not being attached to any other outcome. Absolutely, um, yes, yeah. And it's um, interesting that you had to live with hope for so long and then mm-hmm. have it taken away from you so many years later. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I can speak to how that is also has taught me a lot and I feel that if if I speak to, um, yeah, these things, bad things happen and then you learn from it. I feel I've learned so much more from getting the bad news, the hope taken away when I was 16. And then the, the final, the final part of the story when I was 25, those are so many, like so much bigger learnings, lessons than what happened when I was five was, yeah, when I when I spoke to, to to a trauma therapist uh, a couple of weeks ago about something else, but then we were talking about trauma, and often people think that my traumatic event is when I was five, and this image of this little kid in the hospital in a coma—it all looks very traumatic. But it was was very different from being so attached psychologically, and then after years, uh, that been taken away. It's it's it's, a, it's totally different experience so it it did yeah I learned so much more from it in a way because it took so long yeah well I'd like to hear more about that shift in perspective that you would have experienced at that point and then going forward yes yeah so I remember um a couple of weeks before my 25th birthday being at the uh, doctor's um like at this doctor's appointment where we were to discuss like okay we can try to keep your eye kind of safe so what happened was that the cornea kind of broke apart they realized they couldn't do a transplant because i wouldn't see any 
uh, I wouldn't gain any eyesight and they wouldn't waste a donor <laughs> cornea on that. I, I, I also agree, of course. Um, but it was dangerous. Like if, if there's a hole in your eye, uh, it creates uh, a gateway to your brain, basically. So it, it, it's dangerous for, for my, yeah, for me, of course. So they could like kind of fix the hole in the eye, uh, but they only could do that like in, in very simple ways, so to say. And then it would, they would almost have to do it every, every other month, every two months. Um, so that really wasn't, I mean, it wasn't really an option anymore. I did that three times and then the months of healing in between, I could only sit in my pajamas on the couch and sleep in my bed. And that was basically it. So that was not really the life I wanted, but I was really, yeah, I grew up with this idea, like keeping your eyes safe for the future is the most important thing. So to make that shift of like choosing that deliberately was so, it felt so weird and like against everything that was, was a good idea <laughs> basically. And so I was at a, a, talking with the doctor and she asked me like, okay, we can, we can fix this one more time or two times, but uh, you have to consider to actually remove your eyes and then, and then they can do a great job with, with the artificial eyes. It looks very real and it will actually look better than the, the damaged eyes that I had with all the infections. And so I knew that also just for the way I looked, it would be better, but it was this thing of like, I've held on to the tiny, tiny bit of light and eyesight that I still had. For me, it was like the, it was a, such a big difference between not seeing anything and being like blind the way society imagines you're blind. <laughs> then I could see like, yeah, but uh, I would still say that it was partially sighted sometimes. I didn't really like the word blind. And then I had that conversation with the doctor, like you should consider. And I realized like, this is not a life anymore. I'm just sitting in my pajamas for more than half a year now. Am I doing anything? I don't have a plan for the future. I can't move. I can't do all the things I like. And so I made that decision. I think how it often happens, like in an instant, just like it clicked. And I, a part of me was still like, no, no, we're not doing this. And it's scary. But I already made the decision like, okay, it's, it, it's done. I don't want this anymore. But I really, I, I remember the weeks before the surgery, I cried a lot and I, I, I really felt like the worst thing that could have happened is happening now. And I even chose it myself. It felt so weird. And then um, it was on the 29th of July, <laughs> 2016. And uh, I spoke to a friend a couple of days before and she said, something like uh i just wish for you she said that the 29th of july becomes a special day in the best possible way and i was like it's kind of be a special day but the best way like how i didn't think a lot about it but i felt her words like did something as if my my mind wasn't catching up yet but something else my body my soul my system i don't know what decided yes we're going to make it a special day in, in the best possible way and the day of the surgery I woke up and I had made that decision and I woke up in pretty good mood like and I'm not a morning person but I was wide awake and I was like all right I felt this kind of courageous we're going to do this hero <laughs> state of mind 
And then I spoke to another friend on the phone and he was like calling me just to yeah, tell me good luck, etc. And and I heard myself saying like, I'm going to choose life today. I'm going to let go of all the being careful and all the sitting in the pajamas. I'm throwing all of that away and I don't need to live life with my foot on the brake anymore. I'm choosing life today. And I said that and my heart was beating so fast and I was like, whoa, this is what I've chose like as a as an overall idea for the day as a mindset like I'm choosing life and I'm not losing anything I'm 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 getting my life back and that's how I left for the hospital I remember uh chatting with the with the nurse and she was preparing me for the surgery and I I woke up and it was this I had this idea before the surgery like okay this is the last time I'm gonna see something although it wasn't much it was just uh, I, I could see light that was basically it and I could I was in the room I I knew where the window was and there was a bit of sunlight coming in that was it and I and I thought like okay somehow this is the last thing I'm gonna see and then it's I didn't know I, I also thought it was gonna get dark um, and then I came out of surgery and I had this bandage around my head uh, so and I knew it wasn't physically possible to see anything but somehow, <laughs> and I know every time I tell this, it sounds so weird, but I felt I could finally really see, like not literally, um, but it, as if I was uh, before the surgery, always looking for this tiny bit of light and, and always kind of squeezing my eyes and uh, literally or, or just, yeah, in, in kind of focus, always looking for something to see. And then when I had to let go of that, it was as if as if my vision turned turned open like um, 360. And I could, of course, it was also kind of a sensing or like a feeling, which then I call like the other type of seeing. And, and that's how I woke up from the surgery. And the days after, when I walked on the street, I it was as if I could hear where the, where the car was parked or where I could feel there was a bike standing or there. It was such a different um as if as if I was opening up to the world again after all this holding on to this tiny useless <laughs> little bit of light um and I I still I still feel and believe and know it's because my friend invited me with her word like with her word saying I wish for you it's gonna be special day in the best possible way and it, and it was while I thought it was the worst worst thing that could ever happen to me it was actually you choosing freedom and now you don't have to focus on the illness in your eyes any longer you can move on and start focusing on your life absolutely, absolutely. yeah yeah I, I chose life yeah. over I don't know <laughs> I chose life over over I don't even know what it was but it was holding on to something that I it's it's all it I think it's that mechanism of somewhere along my childhood years I've decided this this should not have happened to me and I am still sighted but I became blind <laughs> that's how I languaged it I guess and holding on to that being right about that and then finally they took it all away I mean they I don't know who they are but life I guess. <laughs> forced me to like now you cannot for another 20 years pretend 
that this should not have happened. It happened, period. And that's that's what I what I had to do. And somehow when I say it, it's it, I don't want, I don't think life is that brutal or that mean. It's just sometimes it needs to be really honest and clear. <laughs> and that's what it did. Yeah. Having experienced your life now and understanding that you can have a good, beautiful life, you can have all of life's joys. Do you feel that this particular path was a part of your destiny? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, do I always like it? No. Do I want to change it often? Yes. Do I feel this is absolutely true for me? Yes. I have a couple of friends who are also blind. And sometimes we talk about like, what it, like if this magic pill exists and you would be sighted again, I would love it. Um, I would do it. But I wouldn't, I, and that's that's the thing. Like, I've if there's stages in acceptance, I've I've been um, rejecting that it happens, not not wanting to accept that it is like this, and also not wanting to accept that my future is shaped by being, or I mean, shaped not even that I'm gonna be blind in the future. Um, I've fully fully embraced that this is what happened in the past. I often <laughs> embrace that this is what's true in the present and I'm about to I guess fall in love with the future with blindness being part of it but not I mean not every day and not always and sometimes I just want to drive a car or watch a sunset or of course I mean there's still pain and grief over it but I yeah I mean it it's it is the worst and the best thing that has happened to me that's where I am right now and I can imagine that I'm, I'm also going to fall in love with, with the future like this, but I'm not always there yet. Yeah. But this is true for me. Yeah. When you talk about your other senses becoming heightened, how do you experience a sunset? How do you feel it? Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm still learning the full range of what it could be for me. Often I'm still have getting a description from somebody and then making a picture in my mind and I'm still very visual. Um, but as I also work as a coach and I work with people and I work with, with energy, I'm starting to fully open up to, to that world almost. <laughs> and when I'm somewhere, I can feel goosebumps or something can happen. I can just feel what's in the air. And, and but I really feel like I'm at the beginning of all of that, what it could be. And it's so tempting in this very visual world, but also very mind-oriented world still to, to like go with the description, with the words, with the image in my head. Yeah. Like that's, but I'm learning to stop doing that. <laughs> what about something more visceral? How do you experience the ocean? The ocean? Yeah. As a surfer, I, was, uh, I, I learned how to surf and surfing is, uh, for me, it, it it's actually what I realized that uh, I've longed to, or or I wanted, or I thought that I had to see to fully experience life, and so that I, previously I would wanted to see the ocean and take pictures of it and all this visual stuff, and then I've learned by by learning how to surf, I it's I emerge myself. I'm in the ocean. I feel it. I move with the waves. I feel the waves. I surf the waves. It's, it's, it's a beautiful metaphor for, for this, this um, journey I'm taking in life as well, to not to stop 
looking at the ocean and, and wanting to see the sunset in the ocean, but to be inside the water, feel it, smell it, taste the salty water and, and be on the wave and, and to hear it, to hear the, the water rushing. And yeah, that, that's uh, my relation with the ocean is my relation with life. Mm. That's really quite beautiful. And you can imagine any sighted person would have to think twice about how they would experience the ocean if they couldn't see it. But you think about all of those other things and they're there and they're just as rich. Yeah, they are. And it's it's a it's a pity that we have kind of a hierarchy for senses. <laughs> I think yeah. the visual one is always it's always number one. And and it makes sense. I thought about it a lot. It makes sense because it's kind of it's safer. Like seeing things, it's from a distance. I mean, hearing things, it comes a little bit closer, but then touching things, tasting things, smelling things, it goes inside your body. It's like on your skin or under your skin. And it's it's quite intimate, it's quite overwhelming. And and that's what I feel sometimes as well, just being in a space with like many people, like pre-corona or post-corona when it ever happens. Um, that just being in a crowded cafe or or, or bar, it's quite overwhelming if you don't have your eyesight to kind of give your orientation or like so it I get that we're in a society where we're I guess still afraid of real intimacy and really being seen that sight is the first one because <laughs> it's safer um, and also from a survival perspective it probably makes sense uh, but it is only the first step to connection with another person, with the ocean, with, with everything. So there, yeah, there's much more to discover also for me. I think uh, growing up with this idea and with the refusing of, of blindness, I also fell in the, in the trap. <laughs> yeah. I'm also still learning to allow uh, the fullness of life through the other sense. Yeah, and I, I suppose being able to go out and experience the world without fear um, would be a difficult one. Yes and no. Um, my, yeah, I have this relationship with fear that it, I, I do have fear often, <laughs> but it's not often really a reason or a criteria, a criterion to do or not do something I think I've learned it's this balance of like curiosity and aliveness and wanting to live um, that is just too strong to let fear uh, really rule and I, I don't say that as like a personal achievement or something that I've it, yeah it's something that I've got I don't know it was in the package when I was born <laughs> and and becoming blind probably was a way for me to 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 even get better at at being curious and and I mean I'm yeah what am I trying to say yeah it's it's the fear yeah fear is just never the 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 only criterion I'm I'm too curious I'm too eager <laughs> to live and to experience that it may I made it into a habit um to like have fear and then take fear under my arm and, and follow my other 
feelings and and curiosity is really the the secret power there <laughs> i'm just too curious to let fear really stop me yeah and when you fight so much for life and for the experiences that life has to offer to then not have those experiences due to you know, fear or thinking that it's not possible for you is quite would be quite a shame <laughs> yeah and it's uh, I've learned to see um, the potential and the way things are possible because I'm I mean I, I I've always been uh, quite a <laughs> uh, an adventurous child and teenager and wanted to travel and do things and experience things and then um, society would tell like oh this is going to be difficult or my fear would say like oh I don't know how this is going to happen it's going to be scary and and you don't see and ooh, ooh. and so I had I had uh, practice I guess in becoming creative like okay but then we do it like this and this and then it's going to work and and if, if I want to go skiing and I just I need a, a sighted guide and just going to talk to me all the time and then we go skiing and, and then with anything that comes up I had enough material to say but we've done this and this and this so if we want to do another next crazy thing I'm I have a brain that is quick with finding solutions and creative ideas so I'm also used to seeing that everything is possible and then it's impossible to not try everything <laughs> because I always see the next possibility so it's just an it's a loop usually it's a positive loop to get, to be stuck in like no but I always see the potential so it's impossible for me to not try new things and do things and it's it's just kind of I become really restless because I always see the next possible thing so then there's no way to to, to really get stuck I mean and sometimes I do get I mean I'm not a I'm not a superhero I'm also a human <laughs> so but but I guess that's that's a gift I've developed over the years of becoming creative to find find uh, solutions yeah how did you navigate your way into your career? Hmm. Yeah, it's actually directly related to the surgery uh, that made me fully blind. I was, um, when I thought the worst thing is happening to me and this is the end, <laughs> it's really what I thought. Like, okay, now it's over. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, it was a couple of months before the surgery. I, uh, I found a, an organization it's called creative consciousness and they work with yeah consciousness um but also like they they organize trainings for personal development and i kind of ended up there not really knowing and feeling so lost it was like whatever this four four days i don't have anything else to do while i'm waiting for the surgery and and i'll just go <laughs> and then i'll see and um i find something there i find something that i for a couple of months thought I lost um I guess it is I guess it's this very pure wanting to live um this the curiosity of wanting to find out like okay if the worst thing happens then then how could that be a good thing I guess I find it there in their four-day program and then after the surgery I decided to do the second four-day program with like a level two and then I did the level three and in the level three, they, they offer the course um, for coaching to become a consciousness coach, uh, the way they work with people. And I actually really still thought like, okay, I just want to get better at 
finding my own way and if I learn how to coach others and I'll probably can use that for myself and then and then that's that just gonna anchor the decision I made to choose life and it's just gonna it's just gonna help me but then when I was in the coach training <laughs> I discovered that this is so natural to me and that I loved working with other people and just literally following my curiosity asking questions because that's what I do like 90% of my sessions is just asking questions and digging in deeper and and also being an eye opener for other people. Um, that's also why my, my, the baseline of my business is seeing beyond what is visible, because I really believe that's what I'm trained in and that's what I'm good at. And so as a coach, I realized in the training, like, wow, this is what I actually already naturally do, but also what I really want to get better at. And then I decided to take the next training uh, and then I decided to I might as well just do the, the exam for the International Coaching Federation. And then I realized when I want to do that legally and people pay me for it, then I need to start a business and have a, a fat number. And then I went for it and then I had, an, had my own business. That's basically how it went. And then now I'm already for three years. Uh, yeah, solo entrepreneur. I have my coaching business and, and, and that's what I do. I see beyond what is visible and I get paid for it. And then I share my insights. Uh, I share what I see and I, uh, I follow my curiosity in every session. And that's now my job. So it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. So what kind of things do you help people through as a consciousness coach? Um, it is, it's uh, somebody who's writing a, has a blog, who, somebody who came of divorce and life to uh, a teenager struggling with a uh, with her with herself um, with her self image and and with accepting herself uh, to a seventy two year old man who feels his life is over but he's healthy and he has a whole to create like a niche one type of problem I work with. I have as the main for me to work with somebody is if um, is kind of wanting to say yes to life, but not knowing how or having so many reasons why you're stuck. But this kind of feeling of somehow you want to live, but you have no idea, or um, just feeling genuinely like there's a there's a match, there's a click between me and the and the client. Um, but there's nothing I say that I don't work with. I just feel if, if it works with a, with a person. But I always say, like, I'm not bringing any solutions. I'm not giving any advice because I truly believe that everybody has their own wisdom and their own journey inside of them. And I'm really good at yeah, just really, yeah, it's digging. That's what I do. <laughs> I dig and I peel up the layers. And I'm really uh, the blind spots. Uh, looking at what they haven't looked at and uh, there and so I'm really honest but I I don't give any advice because I don't think I uh, know and I, I mean I have my own experience but I'm really good at hearing what they actually say uh, that they don't want to hear themselves yeah uh, it's it's so true people I think on a deep level already know what they want or what they want to do, or they already have their own answers. And sometimes it's just simply 
directing a conversation to the right place to help them realize what they already know yeah and it's, it's bringing the pieces together if, if, if you listen then you hear things and see things that the person uh, doesn't see for themselves but then it's just picking up couples from a one-hour session bringing them together and just saying like okay you, I hear you say this and this and this and then they see something something they, they things that I don't see but I somehow I see that I need to bring a couple of things to the light that they've said consciously <laughs> between the lines um, and then when you bring them together all of a sudden they see something and then they say like ah now I see this or that I've always been doing this or that the next step for me is this and I'm like yeah wow that sounds great and then I also feel sometimes I, I don't feel anything and then I ask like is this really true or is this really is this something that would work for you and then they go like no oh, maybe not maybe this is something that I, ex- I think I, is expected from me and okay but sometimes they say something and I feel goosebumps or my heart beats or, or happens and then I say I tell them like wow I just got goosebumps I'm like yeah me too and then okay there must be something here um sometimes it's just as simple as that it's really being it's also about being fully fully present with someone like fully not listening next or listening for the next smart question or nothing but just being there and then magic happens yeah yeah I, I can see that that would be such a beautiful role for you to play in people's lives. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's sometimes I, I and then I'm preparing, I'm like, oh, I'd, rather, I'd rather do something else or I have other things on my mind. But then I really, when I empty myself, sometimes I just write a little bit to get my thoughts on paper. And then I, and then I, I open the, the conversation, the client comes or we work on Zoom. And in the moment, it's only a minute or two when I'm in the session, I'm just, oh, <laughs> it's like it's a different universe or, or it's, it's such a true and, and real place that after for the last three years, I'm, I always write down like, how was the session? And, and I end with the, with the question, like, how do I feel now? And then uh, gratitude or empowerment or it's always those kind of I always feel awesome after. <laughs> still it's such a privilege to enter someone else's life someone's feelings and to just be there and wander around and I don't know it, it feels a bit like Alice in Wonderland but then yeah I, I wanted to say less crazy <laughs> but sometimes it's also yeah it, it's it's just time yeah 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 that's beautiful mm-hmm. um now if you could go back and tell your younger self your 16 year old self any mm-hmm. of wisdom about life um now knowing how beautiful life still is for you what would you say to her oh I don't think, I think the only thing I could say, if I, if I now feel like the 16 year old me felt so broken, so lost. So I think I would just hug her and, and repeat endlessly, like life's going to catch. It's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Like life is going to take care of you. And she wouldn't have believed it. (laughs) I'm sure if I repeated it long enough. 
I think she would kind of be able to lean on it and then get through. I think that's the only thing I could have said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, she finds out eventually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, and also, also it's okay to not get that now. It's okay to feel that life is kind. It's okay to, to not trust that right now. Just go through, go through the stage go through and and know that that life is there or that something will catch you always but you don't have to even be right now i think that's that's what i would also say mm -hmm. just go through all the hurt <laughs> so it's important yeah yeah thank you so much for sharing that mm -hmm. you're welcome there's something i um you know when i was a little girl my grandmother gave me this um, book. Uh, it was called something like The Children's Treasury of Verse and it was just a big book full of poems and I've always loved poetry and it had this poem that I still remember. I remember it so well that I'm going to read it to you now. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Yes, please. So this was written by a girl um, who was eight years old and it said... Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind. I cannot and I won't. Oh, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I have no words. Eight years old. Yeah. Wow. Smart kid. Yeah. <laughs> I think for the record of credits, I think her name was Fanny Crosby. So, mm. um, I I want to direct the listeners on um, where they can find you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can find Instagram on insideout.world, so with G-H-T, or uh, also my website is insideout.world. I think that's the easiest. Inside Out. I will definitely link those in the show notes. Thank you. Um, so thank you so much. This has been a real joy to speak with you, and mm. um, I really appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah, thanks a lot. I, I, I learn something every time I share it. And it's, oh, yeah. in just somebody asking those questions like you did, it's, it's a joy for me as well. Yeah, yeah. So, again, in Chronicle of Endings, you know, there's a beginning on the other side of every, every end, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and, you, and the, I think that's typical to Endings and no beginning have no idea what it's going to be like there's no you can't you can't know what's behind the ending or like what's thing it's it's just jump and land into something new <laughs> yeah. sometimes the worst case scenario is still really beautiful yeah 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 if i can if i can say one more thing that now just lands with me even deeper with you saying that it's um only by fully fully ending 
I could start a new beginning. It's it's the not wanting to end, to keep a little bit of eyesight, trying to keep a little bit of the old that I couldn't start a new. Actually, that's one of my nuggets from it. That you have to fully end, really put put the put the period that the new one can actually start. Yeah, that's really pow- powerful to point out. Hmm. Yeah, just let. It's good to say that loud. Thank you for that. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Please share this story with anyone you feel may benefit from hearing it. Or if you or someone you know have your own story to share, feel free to drop me an email at m at medwards.media.